1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the Berkshire Breakdown what Warren Buffett is buying and selling, what it says about where the world's greatest investor sees stocks heading from here. We discuss and debate that with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today are Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Tiffany McGee, the CEO of Momentum Advisors Institutional Investment Services Group. Let's begin where we always do A check of the market stocks lower across the board off the worst levels, though, Dow still down a half a percent S&P, a little more than a third. We've got virus cases, new restrictions in several states. Our focus, though, today is going to begin with the Oracle of Omaha. Steve Weiss, and we're going to focus our attention to start with this trimming of Apple shares. He still has got a lot. Okay, he's got more than 900 million. We totally get it. It's not like the the, uh, Buffett's bailing on Apple in any way. It did sell about 36 million shares. What is this, do you think? Is it just simply portfolio management?
2: I I think that's exactly right, Scott. It's portfolio management. Apple being one of the most liquid stocks in the world on any market, he could have sold a lot more than that if he had wanted to. So this is just, look, the stocks had a great run. He's pairing back a little bit, got a lot of cash. What I found kind of surprising is that with that much cash, um, actually not surprising, but confirming on the value of the market, is that he really hasn't made any big acquisitions. He's always said that he'll only buy his stock if he can't find anything else to buy. So apparently he can't find anything else to buy.
1: Yeah, which they've been doing, by the way, right? They scooped up a record $9 billion of its own stock yeah. in the quarter. Uh, so, you know, they continue to buy back a lot of stock. I do wonder, okay, even at the margins, Tiffany, if this is in any way a statement that Apple's ability to outperform going forward is going to be more limited, somewhat more muted, by virtue of the fact that the stock is up 62 and a half percent year to date. You could do portfolio and risk management in a lot of places. He's choosing to do it, at least in one place, being Apple. Is it time for everybody else now to take the same kind of look?
3: Um, So the quick answer is no. And so I think we have to really just kind of um, look at things, kind of gain some perspective here. So, um, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, their main kind of portfolio holds about 12 to 15 stocks. So, you know, it's not gonna hold 100 stocks. It's not even gonna hold 40 or 50 stocks. So he only has a couple of places to go, like that's his strategy, right? Um, Apple is still one of his biggest holdings. And as you said, it's had quite a run. He's just trimming a little bit. I think this is really more of a portfolio construction play. Um, I don't think he has conviction around getting out, out of Apple. Cause if he did, it still wouldn't be his, his, um, his, highest holding. So, you know, and, and you know, we were going over show notes this morning. I'm looking at some of the notes, um, comparing Apple's run to other, and, and Apple's valuation to other companies. Who are you comparing Apple to? like there's no other company that is like Apple Um, it's not apples to apples at all (laughs) it's apples to oranges actually so no I don't think this is a this is like an indicator that people should get out of Apple absolutely not but you know you're, you should have, it, depending on how, on how or why you're investing, you probably should have, it makes sense to have, a diversified portfolio. So if you have a position in any stock that's had a really, really great run, it might be time to trim a little bit, no matter what it is. But I don't think that this is a message to get out of Apple.
1: Okay. It's not as though, to continue to, to play off what you're talking about with apples and oranges, not like Apple has been a lemon in the past. But Mm -hmm. by virtue of the gain it's had, it has nearly tripled off of its lows of of early 2019, which means it was there. Okay, it it's had a big run, but it was a lot lower in the early part of 2019. Right. It's not like this stock is completely it's not like it's completely Teflon. Let's not let's not act like, you know, Apple hasn't had issues in the past, at least its stock for even if it's short periods of
3: time. Absolutely. I mean, listen, everybody has issues, but I'm looking at, first of all, I'm a long-term investor. I'm not a trader. So I'm looking at, um, having, you know, my convictions around stocks are based on where I think it's going to go. Um, very fundamental. And I really have conviction around Apple from a fundamental perspective. So there's that, of course, things are going to go up and down. Of course there's volatility and there's so much craziness going on in the world right now. So I expect that. So I also look for dips around, uh, around names that I, that I have conviction around. So yeah, but still I just maintain that again, you know, if, 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 if you hold Apple and it's become a larger position because of its run again, it's not the worst thing in the world to trim a little bit, take some of those gains off. Um, but we're not selling completely out of Apple. Like, that's not the message here.
1: No, and, and I'm not. No, no one, I think, is suggesting that and he's not doing that. And granted, his mm-hmm. his uh, right. more chest is a lot bigger in terms of Apple. But no one's suggesting to, to do that. Uh, Jim Labenthal, yeah. Tony Sakinagi,, yeah. okay, OK, he's one of the you know, well-known analysts covering Apple. Um, he says increasingly worry about Apple's ability to outperform from here. Is that reasonable?
4: Well, listen, I think all of us on the show have a lot of respect for Tony. He's been on the margins kind of negative about Apple for a long time. I'm not negative on Apple. I I, kind of want Tony to to come to my side of this equation. The the cash flow generation here is the key. And what they do with it, first off, every year they buy back 6% of their shares. Second off, you've got the iPhone 12 cycle coming up. You've got wearables. You've got services growing right now. I find it hard to take shots at Apple. I mean, if you're going to say, okay, the valuation is high, I'm going to take shots at that at 29 times Forward earnings. I'm not thinking that's too high in this interest rate environment.
1: Yeah, what, when is the, I mean the value Everybody always says the valuation's not high. At first, it was a value stock; it was cheap. Now it's what well, thirty, well, you know what? But first, 30, it 32 times?
4: first, it was a value stock. You know what? You know what? You make a great point because you go back four or five years ago, and Steve Weiss and I would be arguing about whether 11 times was too rich for what he considered a consumer electronics stock it's not a consumer electronics stock anymore i don't think steve would doubt that i mean this is when you when you factor in the services the ecosystems the wearables i i I think it's far more than a consumer electronics stock and i think that multiple for the growth rate of earnings even if some of that comes from share buybacks is well justified all
1: right so josh brown um i came to you last on purpose okay you own berkshire shares you're a student, in many ways, of, of Buffett, and you've read uh, oodles um, more than most on, on Buffett and the way that he invests. Is, is Why what, what don't you just tell me, what do you make of, of the move to, in Apple? And then we can go through some of the other things that I think are really interesting, too. Adding to GM, um, all but bailing on the banks. Yes, he's got Bank of America, but J.P. Morgan, see you later, uh, or at least slashes that. He trims Wells and M&T and PNC. You tell me, Josh. <coughs>
5: Well, I think it's important to point out that he still owns 900 million shares of Apple. And Apple is a stock that I was forced to trim this year because of how much it went up, not in absolute terms, but relative to the the entirety of the portfolio. And that's what it looks like to me, Berkshire Hathaway is doing. I want to clear a few things up, though, that uh, I think it's important for people to understand. The first is Warren Buffett doesn't use stock buys and sells to send signals or send messages So when he trims his Apple position, that's not him trying to let everyone else know that he thinks it's expensive. It's really important. The second thing is, this is not a Berkshire Hathaway portfolio is not 12 holdings. It's 46 holdings. The problem is the top five are three quarters of the entire stock portfolio, which is now $229 billion. To put that in perspective, the market cap of Berkshire is $540 billion, and the cash position here um, is roughly $150 billion. So you have to trim it if you expect to be a long-term holder in it, because you can't let it become the entire value of the company. The top three holdings in Berkshire's stock portfolio account for two-thirds. So we're talking about Coca-Cola, American Express, um, uh, Kraft Heinz, Apple, and Bank of America. So they have to do stuff like this, and I would just leave it there. The only other thing that I think is is worth pointing out here, um, just because Berkshire Hathaway sells something, that doesn't mean... They have a better edge on anyone else than what's going to happen next. Berkshire liquidated its entire position in John Deere five years ago. Look at that stock today. It's up almost 300 percent since he liquidated it. Um, and I don't think he made any money yeah. with it at all. Well, they make so mistakes. that kind of thing happens mean, to Berkshire just like it happens to the rest yeah, of yeah.
1: us. Of course. Of course. It's, he's, he's the Oracle of Omaha for his long-term track record, not for 10 minutes, uh, 10 weeks, or, or, or even 10 years. Correct. Um, But what what what, Josh, is the most interesting to you of all the moves that he made? Is it adding to General Motors? Is it all but getting out of the banks, including J.P. Morgan? Um, Is it the new stakes in healthcare, which he's going big on in terms of drug makers, Pfizer, Merck, AbbVie and Bristol Myers, a 5G play perhaps in in T-Mobile, a liquidation of
5: Costco, which is a big winner? I think there's something he really likes about Bank of America because while taking Wells Fargo down to zero, which is deserved, and liquidating J.P. Morgan, and he had gotten out of Goldman Sachs, by doing that but simultaneously adding to B of A, it tells you either he really likes B of A a lot or he wants exposure to the sector but wants it concentrated into one holding. He doesn't want to make a big sector-wide bet on banks. Adding to pharma is interesting. It hasn't historically been the type of thing that he's wanted to do. Those trades look like they have Ted and Todd stamped all over them. Um, adding to GM is interesting to me because I'm in it, and I know Jimmy's in it, so we're, we're both, I guess, happy to see a little bit of confirmation bias there. Yeah, the but good, the buybacks, keeping seal of approval. The buy, right. The, buy, the buybacks are now 15%, uh, $15 billion worth year-to-date, $9 billion last quarter. Um, he only added about $5 billion net in stocks, uh, outside of the buybacks in the third quarter. And that's versus the $13 billion net he sold in Q2, which is the biggest Berkshire Hathaway quarterly net sale of stocks in the 60-year the history um, of, of Buffett's uh, chairmanship. So that was notable. Um, and I think most people look at that buyback and say, well, oh my God, he could double it and it wouldn't even be noticeable. That's number one on an annualized basis. And number two, what if they just announced the dividend? I know he doesn't love the double taxation you imagine if they took 25 billion dollars of the 150 billion in cash and did a five percent yield on berkshire uh on on berkshire shares this could literally the stock could gap up 20 percent that day so i love this holding sticking with it Mm um I, i do have some overlap with apple because i own both uh but there is so much optionality that can happen with berkshire um i wish they had been more aggressive this year in the crash but say la vie, still have options. You know, Weiss,
1: maybe the, the biggest statement they make here is in the financials and a view that these stocks stink. Okay, I get the fact that he loves the job that Brian Moynihan has done and continues to do at Bank of America, and he's in there in scale. And he continues to add, in, in some respects, to, to that position. But when you cut your stake in J.P. Morgan by 96% and you do what you do in Wells Fargo, M&T and PNC, you are making a statement that you think that that sector stinks and you think that rates aren't gonna arise meaningfully anytime soon and those stocks aren't gonna do anything. Maybe you're still a little cautious in your own mind about where we are relative to the virus and the economic comeback and the fact that banks may do better in that environment. Is there any validity to that.
2: Absolutely. I I, I think those are all great points. Look, in order to hold the banks in order to sell the banks, you have to have a viewpoint on what the yield curve is going to do. They're not going to make money in declining yield curve. They're going to make money in, in a steepening yield curve. So he doesn't see that. And that, of course, translates also to your view on the economy. So the fact that he held on to Wells Fargo for so long, and now you have a new CEO that's coming there, not that new, over a year old, where you have the opportunity to make changes and change the culture, and that he's giving up on it at this level, I think is a statement on exactly the points you make. So to me, that was the biggest surprise. I think it's a little late in coming, but it was a surprise. But I'd like to go back up to one point. Keep in mind that this is his 13F as of the end of September. Yep. He could very well have sold a lot more Apple between September 30th and now. Oh, I we just don't know. I'm glad you he said could have that. Made other it, changes. I'm glad you I'm,
1: said that. Hey. For, forgive me, because you we always Scott, try to point that I out. When, hang on, Tiff. I'll come to you in just two seconds. I promise. We always try and point that out about okay. F's, you know, the 13 F's. Um, and we've reported on things in the past where a big investor um, has seemingly done something on paper that shows up in the F. And they're already long out of it by the time we actually get the chance to see it and then report on it. So it's a good point, And I'm glad you made that because I think our viewers need to hear that um, as many times as they possibly can. Anytime we talk about this sort of thing, Tiffany, go, go ahead. I, I know you want to take issue with the JP Morgan yeah. um, cut down.
3: <laughs> I do. I do. But uh, yeah, I, I absolutely do. But first, I, I do want to really highlight what what Steve Weiss just said. Um, we are talking about what Warren Buffett did last quarter. So, so as of September 30th, so, you know, a lot has happened since September 30th with this virus, with the economy. So yeah, before, and we don't know exactly when he sold, right? So, so it's really within that quarter time period. So, you know, I didn't like banks then banks were not really doing well. The only ones that had glimmers of hope were like the JP Morgan's like the Goldman Sachs. So the JP Morgan does surprise me. Um, but if you remember, you know what jp morgan was saying they were saying look we don't know yes trading revenue saved them but we don't know you know um either depending on how this vaccine and virus situation goes either we're going to have a really strong balance sheet and we're going to be you know in a really good position or we're not so maybe he was also listening to that news too but you know it's just really interesting, you know, to, to, to highlight that we're talking about something that happened a while ago, no, and but so I mean, much has changed. I, I think so, we can make an educated
1: mm-hmm. guess. And look, I mean, maybe we're fools, and we could be completely wrong. Um, I find it hard to believe that Warren Buffett and his merry men, who were running that portfolio, hated the banks in September and all of a sudden love them in November. I'm, ju- I'm
5: just saying, I, I find that hey, hard Scott. to believe. The 10s and twos no, yield no, no. spread is yeah. up a lot, though, he, so you, you could change your mind. <laughs> True. True. Like yeah, I said, got, I mean, could, I, could be a fool I, can for I also saying just point it, out, but go ahead, Jim.
4: Yeah. He, you yeah. know, look, I, I own Berkshire Jim. Hathaway. <laughs> I'm a value investor, so of course he's, he's legendary to me, but he also makes mistakes from time to time. I mean, this financial sale here, to me, it feels a little bit like selling the airlines exactly at the bottom back in March. And uh, look, I'm. I would. I'm not saying the emperor is is wearing no clothes. He's beyond fabulous, right? He's a legend. He's my hero, but he's not perfect. And I think the financial sales here are going to turn out to be a sign of imperfection. Okay, then what about
5: Josh? He's, what What about Josh? The health care stakes. That that's a statement too. I, again, I really don't think that he buys things to make a statement. I think he speaks. Uh, he speaks thrice a year: once to Becky Quick from the annual shareholders meeting, another time when the letter comes out, and then often he'll just do a pop-in, usually to squawk or something, um, or maybe you know talk to Bloomberg TV, and that's it. He is he is not buying a stock and saying, "I wonder how people are going to interpret it." He really isn't. No, of course isn't. not. So, but we're not saying. Uh, that. I think it's we're not I think saying it's that. it's interesting. Well, we're not, well we're you're not saying, saying these not. are
1: statements. Well, 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 I'm saying, are are we? Can <laughs> we make the interpretation that? If he buys big drug makers like Pfizer, Merck, AbbVie and Bristol Myers, um, that's a statement in and of
5: itself about what he thinks about health care as a group. Don't you think it may not be it? it no, because I'll tell you why. With every passing quarter, uh, Combs and Wexler get more of the portfolio to allocate for themselves. And we could disagree whether or not the old man gets the call on positions over a billion dollars or whatever. I don't know. Who who really knows? But he has given more autonomy to his investment consigliaries than they had last year, and the year before that, and the year before that. And why has he done that? Because they have invested in things that were way beyond the realm of Charlie and Warren, and they have done a spectacular job positioning Berkshire in things like MasterCard, Visa, technology companies. They're in Amazon now. These are trades that the old man would never have pulled the trigger on. So he may have approved them. He may not have. But they're not his. And I don't think all of a sudden Warren Buffett is perusing the clinical trial information from Pfizer and AbbVie about drugs that they have in development and, and saying, yeah, now's the time. Let's of get course. more Pfizer. I don't think they're his traits. Uh, uh, I really course. don't.
1: Look, I, and Steve, look, I, w- <laughs> I want to be clear. OK, I totally get everything that Josh is is saying when we. I just do it out of instinct. When you when you mention Buffett, of course I'm thinking of the whole, the, the 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 portfolio managers and and, and Buffett, right? I, I look at it all as the same thing. It's Berkshire Hathaway. We say it's Buffett because it's Warren Buffett, right? I mean, you, you get the point. I, I get it that the portfolio Kraft, managers Kraft maybe Hines make it ninety percent of, right? <laughs> but I mean, you know, but Berkshire Hathaway, Buffett's name's yeah, on the Scott, door. You- we get it.
2: Yeah, to and Scott, to your point, there is definitely a statement being made. He's not out there trying, as to Josh's point, to educate the market on what he thinks. He could really care less. What he's saying, whether it's through the people that work for him that he trusts that are carrying the imprint of Berkshire or it's him, he's saying, I see a theme in healthcare, and I see it specifically in the pharmaceutical companies, and I want to be there. So that to me is an important call. Now, of course, they make mistakes, but what we're seeing are everybody makes mistakes and there are three great investors there. Right. The two people he's brought on who have done an excellent job, not without mistakes, but they get rid of their mistakes quickly, as in the airlines. So, let, so do, there's a rejiggering of the portfolio that looks pretty good to me.
1: Let's do this then. Let, let's sort of pivot from Buffett to another well-known multi-billionaire, masa right, the head of SoftBank. Who was speaking with Andrew Ross Sorkin of Squawk Box today at his DealBook conference, the virtual one that he's holding? He had some very interesting things to say as we sort of pivot to this broader market view, where he said, "I'm very afraid for all my friends in the United States. I'm worried." Speaking of the pandemic, he said, "A major company. What sort of? You know, what are you worried about?" Was was maybe a follow-up question. Um, spoke of a major company could crash, and then have a domino effect. Anything can happen in this type of situation. He threw out a Lehman like event that that's all it took was Lehman failing to really set the dominoes at play and bring down essentially the entire financial system before um, it it was saved. It just leads me to, Tiffany, this idea of a well-known billionaire opining on the current situation and us wondering, man, the, the market, is it complacent about about where we are? Should we be thinking more like Masa or or not?
3: No, I mean, I listen, so so much is going on in the world. And so I I think it's really easy to 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 look at where we are, you know, in still in the middle of a global pandemic and especially in the U.S., um, with with our particular economy with elections with stimulus no stimulus with vaccine you know no vaccine when vaccine kind of situation so i i get that but i'm incredibly hopeful i even think back to like a month ago where you know we were very aware that you know drug companies were working on a vaccine but we didn't exactly know when but we were still talking about you know mid 2021 before we could possibly see relief. Well, now we actually have a light at the end of the tunnel. And yes, we're still talking about mid 2021. So I don't think it's gloom and doom. I I don't, you know, I I don't think, no, it doesn't have to be gloomy. And, and do, but, hopeful. But,
1: you know, the virus yeah. cases are surging. Restrictions are going up. There's no stimulus in sight, which yeah. is shameful in its own right. We have two universes that yeah. we're living in, one in which the president elect of the United States is making steps towards taking office in January and another universe in which the current president doesn't admit that he lost the election. And the market yeah. doesn't seem to care about any of it at all. And today well, is not a good yeah, representation of it because the Dow's only down 138 points as we're talking. And the S&P and the Dow recently hit new highs.
3: Yeah. So first of all, he doesn't our current president does not have to concede for the president elect to 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 take office. But, yes, there are these very big moving parts that you're talking about. And I think that the market is paying attention to what it thinks is is the most important thing. Um, so, yes, we don't know. Um, when the stimulus will come, but we know that there will be one. Um, It should come sooner rather than later, especially for the American people that are suffering. Um, But we just don't know. Um, And, you know, yes, virus cases are going up. That's a horrible thing. And lockdowns are now being imposed as well they should be. And we've been here before right? A couple of months ago when we we first got into this. So, you know, now we have, this is absolutely round two. And I think maybe the market is saying, look, we've been here before. Mm-hmm. We know what this looks like. Now we know what's going to be open, what's not going to be open, what's going to do well, what's not going to do well, at least until we can get through to the other side um, of this vaccine. And, um, and definitely some, uh, I think, help from a new administration. All
1: right, let's bring in another in voice to the conversation. I'm sorry to, to cut you off there, Tiffany. Uh, step That's on okay. your toes there. Let's bring in Sarah DeGarabedian. and she's financial director of investment management at Parsec Financial. Joins us now. It's nice to see you again.
6: Good to see you, Scott.
1: I hope you've heard our conversation, and I want to pivot to you with Bank of America's fund manager survey says investors have become too bullish. So sell on the vaccine news uh, that we got uh, this week and what may come early in, in 21. Do you buy into that? At all? Are we are we too bullish? Are we too complacent?
6: I mean, I understand where he's coming from and I, I, I get it. But I think Tiffany is right that, you know, there's a lot of bad things going on right now, but we too are optimistic. And I think it's because, you know, markets are forward looking. They're looking through the current situation to, you know, the clearer skies ahead. So um, You know, I don't I don't necessarily agree that we're too bullish because, uh, you know, we've already seen that, you know, when we get through some of these these crises that we're, you know, encountering, we have a rebound and then, you know, we'll waver for a little bit and markets will dip and there's some volatility there. But, you know, it's going to continue that way, I think, for a little while, but longer term once these vaccines are distributed and people are comfortable getting out and about and going back to their business, then I don't see any reason for for markets not to go up at that
1: point. I know the market can be delusional, too, at times, right? I mean, the next few months-ish could be ugly in terms of life, quality of life, the virus restrictions, et et cetera. The market's just going to forget about that and just Look to the other side.
6: Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, yes. Well, fortunately and unfortunately, I mean, it's sad that, you know, uh, people don't understand they're Like, why would the market be going up when we're clearly you know, withstanding so much pain here on, on a personal basis, you know, as humans. Um, but but that's just kind of what happens. You know, like I said, they're not uh, trading on what's necessarily happening right now for the near term. They're saying looking ahead you know, we can see some relief in the future. So when we do get stimulus, when we do get vaccines distributed, when all this happens, the pieces come in, and then, um, you know, things will get lifted from there. So I, I, I know that it seems strange and it seems disconnected, and it, it is to some degree, but, um, you know, uh, well, the market...
1: You know. I'm confused, though, because if, if that's your view... And it's optimistic, right? You said there's you don't see any reason why the market wouldn't continue to go up. And the fact that the market's looking to the vaccine and past the pandemic, why you're not ready to make a pivot from tech and growth to value and the kinds of stocks that would thrive seemingly in the environment in which you describe.
6: Well, you know, the reason, Scott, is that we're already there. So we don't necessarily have to pivot because we're already distributed among the sectors that are value cyclical sectors as well as tech and more secular. So um, that's just how we position our portfolios because that's the whole thing. You don't know when these things are going to happen. The market is um, its just not, you can't bet on it. You can't time it very well. So. You know, to avoid that, all along, we've been investing in some of the sectors that are out of favor. So, you know, we talk about financials and how terrible that's been. And the thing you have to remember, though, is like when when we're in these, we're in financials, we're in energy, you know, we're in some of these industrials and discretionary and others. But, we're very selective about the companies we're choosing in those sectors. So just because you're investing in financials doesn't necessarily mean you have to be all in on the banks. You know, going back to the discussion on Warren Buffett, uh, you know, saying that maybe he wants to shed some exposure, but, you know, we may have exposure to some banks, we also have exposure to companies in capital markets like BlackRock or something like Visa. So, you know, these are not necessarily in the same boat. And so we do this with all of the sectors. We're very much bottom-up, very selective, looking at the companies and not necessarily the sector theme, although that plays into it to some degree. You know, we're not ignoring it. We're not ignoring what's going on in the world. But, um, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, we're not going to – wholesale move out of tech and into value. We're not going to wholesale make these shifts. We're going to maintain exposure to tech as well because it's a huge part of the the market and it's got a huge secular tailwind and you don't want to miss out on that. But you can be very selective about the companies that you invest in within that sector. So, um, you know, I know Stephanie on the show loves Broadcom. So do we for a lot of the same reasons. So, you know, this is, we're just not, um our, our philosophy is that we will maintain exposure. We will maintain diversification. I hear you. We will maintain diversification internationally as well.
1: Yeah. No, we've had a lot of calls of late to take a look at emerging markets and, and stuff. And I hear you on your you know, sort of barbell approach, if you will, uh, especially since you called out Steph and she likes to talk about that a lot, too. Sarah, it's good to talk to you. We'll see you soon. That's Sarah Degarabedian um, joining us there. Uh, you know, we're talking about tech. We could talk about the NASDAQ. we got to talk about Tesla right, being put into the S&P 500. Tiffany, I'm coming to you first on this. Um, it's so funny, hardly anybody ever owns Tesla on this program as I part of the why. investment community. They Committee. don't like to make money. <laughs> Ouch. Throwing some...
3: They don't make money.
1: <laughs> Throwing some arrows at everybody else. Uh, you bought more today.
3: No. I did, I did. And that was, I mean, don't... My, uh, my reasoning was not technical. It was just not. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense other than the fact that the stock is up in a crazy amount. I don't even know what it's up right now, stock Scott. It's just it, it's just insane. Um, but I, I I think its addition to the S and P five hundred is very interesting. And I think about what that means for um, S and P five hundred index stocks. So they're going to so you know um, index funds. They're going to have to sell positions to mimic the index right they're going to have to buy tesla that 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 whole situation is interesting to me mm-hmm. um you know uh, looking at um uh you know futures and the um stuff uh, uh aftermarket kind of overnight tesla shares were, were were up um you know this is a story that when Uh, tesla makes these really cool announcements the stock tends to go up so i am a long-term investor i I am a long-term investor but it doesn't mean that i can't get in on little cool things like this oh i Um, understand so but you you make a good point
1: though josh i mean is it, it this this potentially opens tesla up to a class of investors that otherwise probably wouldn't have considered it
5: yeah i think that's mostly in the stock by now um, if you're if you're in, if you're um, managing money in an index strategy, it's not like the old days where the announcement happens and you have to buy that day. They have time to get into the trade, and they knew that they would have to at some point. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there was some there were some anticipatory trades dating back a couple of months ago when you know we we first thought it was obvious they would have to add the company. So they punted by. Uh, a couple of months, the index committee. But ultimately, I think everyone knew it was just a matter of time. Okay. so I don't I don't really look at that as like a catalyst to want to buy it or sell it.
1: Speaking of moves and committees, the investment committee is making plenty of moves. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about their latest buys and sells. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. Get the headlines now with Sue Herrera. Hi,
7: Sue. Hello, Scott. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. The city of New Orleans has canceled next year's Mardi Gras parade due to the pandemic. The city will still observe the religious holiday, but certain kinds of celebrations will not be permitted. For the first time, the Washington football team says one of its players has tested positive for the coronavirus. Separately, an unidentified New York Giants player has also tested positive, prompting that team to work remotely today. Rudy Giuliani is now listed as a lawyer on a Trump campaign election lawsuit in Pennsylvania. This after one law firm withdrew from that case and a second law firm sought to withdraw but was denied permission to do so by the judge. And just north of Paris, police used tear gas to clear hundreds of migrants from an illegal camp next to the national stadium. Officials say the people are being bused to safer accommodations to try and decrease the risk of COVID-19 transmission. You're up to date. That's the news update. Scotty, back to you.
1: Appreciate that, Sue. Thank you, Sue Herrera. I told you the traders are making moves. Let's go through some of them. Steve Weiss, tell me what you're doing with Moderna. OK, you've been a longtime holder of that. And then Jumia, which I find interesting because you sold it, and now you're back in?
2: Yeah, so let's talk about Moderna first. So as you recall from last week, I really increased my position dramatically after the Pfizer news because Moderna used the same technology. And I also bought puts, just in case I was wrong. I expect the news to come out any day, and it came out any day. So I sold the puts yesterday. I cut back to just above my normal large-core position, But I'll take this opportunity probably today to add back to the trading side because this company will double at least. What happened was they de-risked the platform with this new technology. The BMO analysts maybe shouldn't be following biotech. Let them go to the auto industry. In terms of Jumia, Jumia, uh, look, I had a speculative position. I hadn't been able to talk to the company because they were in their quiet period. And when they reported the quarter, it surprised me. It surprised the street as well. Stock traded down. I was able to speak to the company, able to listen to the conference call, and I'm convinced of their plan. I still have more work to do, but I got back in right about where I sold it. So I think it's going to be a phenomenal stock going forward. I'm anxious to talk to the CEO. Uh, I haven't spoke to others in the company and add to the
1: position. Okay, there you go. Stocks uh, up uh, better than 5% on the session. Thank you for that. All right, Tiffany, coming to you now for a couple of stocks I want to talk about. Fulgent Genetics is number one FLGT it is it's small it's a billion dollar market cap just so everybody's aware Um, we don't never talk about it Mm -hmm. but why should we be
3: yep yeah, I mean, so first of all, I like to. Sometimes I like to buy things when no one else is looking. So it's a tech company that focuses on genetic testing. Um, I love the fact that it serves hospitals and medical institutions. The stock is up 254 percent year to date. So I think it's something that should be on everybody's radar. Um, I can roll into the second one. Just give me one um, quick.
1: United Microelectronics. It's uh, okay. up 115 percent year to date. Two and a half percent yield. Tell me why. Semi
3: company. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's trading at eleven percent discount, so I love that. It's just kind of like a value, but yet yeah, growth play. You know, uh, good dividend, so I like that. And again, up one hundred fifteen percent for the year, so love it.
1: Okay, uh, Josh Brown, you've added to CrowdStrike, is that right?
5: Yeah. Uh, sold out of Prologis, added to CrowdStrike. It's just it, it came down with that one day or two where they were selling the work from home stocks. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. The stock's going higher. Chase Coleman, who I would say is the best hedge fund manager on earth right now, currently working, um, just raised his position in the third quarter, we found out, substantially. Went from 5 million shares to 7.5 million shares. He owns more than 3% of the company, a billion dollar stake. If you think you know more than Tiger Global about technology, you should really sit down. So this is a stock I want it to be bigger in, move some things around in order to do so. Looking forward to their next uh, earnings report. I think CrowdStrike is becoming the sales force of cybersecurity. It's not a cheap stock, but that hasn't really mattered in this space. What's important is that they are dominating, um, taking on almost the entirety of the S&P 100 as customers. And from there, they could pretty much get anyone they want, well, from my, my perspective.
1: Speaking of, of dominating, Amazon's dominating, and so are the companies that need that massive warehouse space that a Prologis has. So why get out of that?
5: I mean, I made money and I, and I needed space.
1: Okay. I still hear like you. it. No, nothing wrong with it. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd just be surprised if you didn't just for the, the reasons that we, that we discussed. All right. Straight ahead. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey getting grilled again on Capitol Hill, at least virtually. Getting a little fiery, as you might expect. We're going to go there next.
6: What does it mean to be rich?
8: Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Milan Mui in Washington. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg have been testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee in what has been a sober and substantive hearing so far. Both CEOs have dived into the details of their content moderation policies and said unequivocally that they support reforming Section 230, the provision that gives the tech industry its liability protections. Zuckerberg even said that the platforms should not be the sole arbiters of what gets on the Internet.
1: The challenges that we face are deeper than any one platform. They're about how we want to balance basic social equities that we all care about, like free expression, public safety, and privacy. This is why I believe we would benefit from clearer guidance from elected
4: officials.
8: And the committee's chairman, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, said that the industry should be involved in setting those standards and should be working hand-in-hand with Washington.
5: I don't want the government to take over the job of telling America what tweets are legitimate and what are not. But when you have companies that have the power of governments, have far more power than traditional media outlets, something has to give.
8: Still, Graham said that he is concerned about the addictive nature of the platforms, and he compared big tech to big tobacco. There was also still some talk of breaking up the companies, with Democratic Senator Dick Blumenthal urging the FTC to take antitrust enforcement action against Facebook. But Scott, a lot of the steam seems to have been let out of the room after the election. And there might even be some emerging agreement on the need for change from both the industry and from lawmakers. Back over to you.
1: Yeah, we'll see what happens. Alon, thank you. That's Alon Moy, an update for us down in Washington, D.C. Coming up, big box retail out with earnings today. We'll have more of that, how the traders are playing it. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back. Walmart out with another uh, earnings report and uh, among big name retailers. Jimmy, you own it. Stock's not really doing anything. Big standout, of course, e-commerce sales, 79 percent. Things been in a sweet spot. The company is obviously in that place that retailers want to be because of the pandemic.
4: It really is, Scott, and I'm not worried if it's not doing anything today because, as we all know, it's had, you know, not only a fabulous year but a fabulous several years. Look, I looked at the numbers, and there's only one number that disappointed, and it was new members at Sam's Club, just the membership income, okay? I'll take that because everything from same-store sales to revenues to income to margins— all exceeded expectations. I mean, you really can't ask for more. Okay, you know, you needed two more members at Sam Clubs. I'll live with that. Uh, Walmart is what you call a steady Eddie in the portfolio. Let it just keep running.
1: Kramer this morning, you know, talking about, at least on Twitter, that the stock has had a tendency to sell off after earnings. In his words, Jim, quote, unquote, do not fret. It doesn't sound like you are and that you don't think that our viewers who own this stock should either.
4: Absolutely. Steady Eddie. Yeah. All right. We'll take a
1: quick break. Come back. The key levels on the Dow you need to know about. We'll do that in our futures segment. And as we go to break, there's your S&P sector breakdown. One is in the green, that being real estate. Everything else is in the red. It's a muted day for the S&P down 10. We're back in two. Let's do the futures outlook now. The Dow's pulling back from record highs today. Now down. There it is. Triple digits off the lows, though, down 121, kicking the week off in the green, though, for more on how the futures markets are trading that move. Let's bring in Brian Stutland of Equity Armor Investments, Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures. Guys, good to see you, Bill. Where do you think it's going? I think 30,500, 30,750s 30, in the cards. There's a nice trend line, nice channel from the highs in June and then the lows in May. I think we're staying well within there. The reopening, you know, stocks, the industrial stocks, the cyclicals, they love it. But as a manager, I am a little cautious. I think you have to have a little caution here. I'm buying some downside protection just to just to manage that risk. But I think we're heading higher here All right, as Stuts, long as you stay above 29,000. Stutsy thinks you got, you know, maybe another thousand points. Does that make sense to you? It does, and when you look at some of the fundamentals, I mean, I think the Dow continues. Even if you look even further out, Dow 40,000 by the end of next year, I think that could be in the cards or at least close to it. I know it's a high pick there, but I think look at the components inside the Dow, right? Stocks like Nike, Disney, the banks, if interest rates move higher on the back end, these are all post-the-vaccine-type world that will participate well to the upside. And, Scott, you mentioned before the break real estate is doing well today, but I don't really like that going forward that's not in the Dow So I do like the components in there. Do I love it? Is it the best thing out there in the world? No, I think you can buy some other growth names and whatnot. But will it do well for a Roth IRA or mom or pop and to put some in the Dow? Yeah, I think it's higher by next year. I'm timestamping you on that, Stutz. 12.51 in a few seconds. Dow, 40,000. I got you down on that. I'm going to hold you to it. Guys, thank you. Be good. In the book. Done. Brian Stutland, Bill Baruch. We'll talk to you soon. We'll do final trades next. Final trade time. Tiffany, you go first.
3: Hi. Uh, Vichy Properties. So they own, acquire, and lease leisure properties, including golf courses. Their dividend is over 5%. They're trading at 11% discount and up over 14% in the past three months alone.
1: All right. Speaking of golf courses, Steve Weiss likes a golf course. What do you got for me,
2: Steve? I sure do. More times than others. Um, Moderna. Look, you get an opportunity. Stocks on sale. Buy it with both hands. All right. Farmer Jim.
4: Yeah, Boeing, we haven't talked about this much. Look, It took that Acapulco cliff dive back in March. It's halfway back up the cliff. It's slowly climbing. Steve Weiss, man, where are you on this? you got to join me. We'll get to the top and watch the sunset together.
1: Weiss, you've got enough time to respond.
2: I don't want to respond. What?
1: <laughs> you guys will see the light together on something beyond GM. I know it. It's only a matter of time. No love. All right, Josh Brown, why don't you wrap it up for us?
5: Uh, GM, slightly overbought short-term. RSI just hit 75. It might cool off for a couple of days or weeks, but be patient. Rising 200-day, starting to turn up here. I really like the setup. All right, a lot of GM.
1: All right, thank you, guys. Good to see everybody. Thank you. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on
2: CNBC.